Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Did you watch The Mandalorian, the new Star Wars television show available on Disney Plus? I did. And so should we talk about it? You know, I don't really care about Star Wars. Like, it's not like a huge <laughs> part of my life or deep interest. Nah, I mean, we can just skip it. Yeah, and this Disney Plus thing, I feel like it's it's just kind of a big nothing. Who cares? Yeah, passing phase, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course, we're going to fucking talk about it. Okay, so the first two, by the time of recording, the first two episodes have been released. Yep. Uh, I assume you've watched both episodes. I have. I have watched both episodes as of 10 minutes ago. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, that's good news. Yes, I managed to get caught up. Um, um, cool. Well, I, I have, and I'll start preface this by, I heard rumor that the reason the second episode was so short is that the first two episodes were supposed to be kind of like one episode and they kind of split it up just to, for some reason, but apparently the rest of them are not going to be that short. And it did kind of feel like a longer, like parts of a whole, I guess. So Yeah, I guess I could see that because it, it definitely was short. It was like 33 minutes and I was like, oh, is this, is this what we're doing? Like, are we, is this a half hour show? What's going on? Um, but then you say that, oh, maybe it was one, like maybe 90 minute episode. Yeah, I could see that too, but I don't think that that pacing would work would have really worked which no i mean maybe at some they point they switched it. it but because like the end of the first episode is pretty yes. a pretty good ending yes we'll get there so what'd you think greg so i've i'm finding this show oh and i hate that i'm saying this i'm finding it very watchable okay um it's like you know how some books are an easy read uh-huh this show is an easy watch yeah i can see that but i'm also not sure what it's about <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean um I, I guess what i'm saying is so far there isn't much that's really pulling me in okay i could see that we don't really know the conflict yet right um well i guess i mean i feel like the the shape that it's taking is you know he's the bounty hunter and he but now he's got the the package that everybody in the galaxy wants that's the mysterious you know Yoda baby and it's not actually baby Yoda obvious but it's from Yoda's species we have nothing else to call it so we're right. gonna call it baby Yoda from here on out um and and he's gonna be on the run you know mm -hmm. which I feel like we've seen this kind of thing before this is like a fairly typical like bounty hunter hitman you know storyline I also feel like there's maybe a little bit of lone wolf and cub in here which yeah. all of that's fine but I feel like if that's the shape of it, I really need more from the Mandalorian character right mm -hmm. now. Like, who is this guy? What does he want? Why do I care? And I'm not really seeing a, like a interesting relationship between him and the baby Yoda yet. It's maybe developing a little smidge of it might be coming in here at the end. But yeah, I, I just feel like I need a little bit more here. Yeah, I could completely understand that. I, I assume... That will get a little more backstory into him as well as the Mandalorians as a culture in general. Because while some people have that, uh, many do not. And I don't have the new canon version, which is difficult to reconcile uh, because they pretty dramatically changed it from old canon to new canon, which isn't great. Um, I mean, there's some there's some similarities, I guess, but uh, 
I think that at least, and I'm not, like I said, I'm speaking on my ass here. I'm still in a side discussion here. I want to have is like, I'm temp, I'm debating Greg, you know, if with the star Wars universe becoming a little more decentralized, we have no movie announcements with Disney plus having all of clone wars and rebels and resistance and now Mandalorian and then Obi-Wan down the road. And it seems like there's been a lot more Easter eggs in the movies, like, maybe it's time for me to give the the new canon expanded universe a shot. Uh, because, you know, I like to know what's going on. I like to know all the little things, fill out the world. I think that the show, from what I can tell, is doing a pretty good job of that. Uh, it's really interesting because I feel like, and you wrote this in your notes too, but like, it feels like Star Wars, mm-hmm. but it's not like, remember star wars yes and it it feels like it's like yeah the story is a little derivative but like star wars is a little derivative and that's kind of like baked into the formula for me at least at at this level so i and i i'm enjoying it you know the i think that we'll get more from him i'm guessing that so in the old canon the mandalorians they had a planet and they had a, a culture, but it was much, it was very, like, very not Star Warsy. It was, they were kind of nomadic, agrarian, you know, uh, I'm not sure how to exactly describe it, yeoman, like, of old, right? Like, a little bit honor-bound, whatever, which is fine, but also just, like, very race-agnostic. Like, they accepted orphans and mm-hmm. people that came into their culture and the masks or, you know, they weren't so as into those, like, everyone sits around wearing their helmets all the time but like the armor and and the helmets were sort of a way to like we're all part of this culture and there's something kind of nice about that i i think that because i watched the first episode twice because i'm mm-hmm. a weirdo and i was also had a couple beers when i watched the first one so i was like oh, i'll make sure i <laughs> got all this the right way and they, they said at some point this this the best scar which is the special mandalorian steel uh will sponsor many wards like the excess and I'm guessing, and he says, I was a ward once. And I'm guessing, I'm not sure if this is part of the canon of, of new Mandalorians. I know they changed a lot. But I can see a cool uh, route here where, you know, he's part of this culture where they take in orphans and down their luck. And they kind of, you know, embrace them and, and build them up. And you sort of contribute back to kind of keep that snowball rolling for other people. And be curious to see what, you know... Obviously, that has an impact on how he sees an innocent, young, you know, baby, effectively. Yeah. Just from the very brief flashbacks we get of him, I assume, with his parents, you know, in some... They mentioned some purge. Once again, I don't know what that is yet, but... Yeah, I get the impression that Mandalorian is a religion, not a race. That's kind of the vibe I was getting. Um, And there's something about the armor that is some element of their... It's some it's a the the metal is a currency, but it's also kind of sacred and the armor. And I I feel like as it goes, he's his armor is going to get more and more silver as the as things progress. Um, So but that's kind of neat. And I think that that's going to kind of matter Um, and all that stuff. I'll say I'm, I'm approaching it differently because I'm not 
I feel like they're kind of drip feeding the world building here, which is kind of fine. Um, but it's not like, oh, they, these are big mysteries I'm trying to unravel to crack the code of the Mandalorian. It's just like, oh, he's kind of the it's 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 space cowboy stuff. He's the man with no name. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to learn more about him as we go. Um, and that's just the, the the shape of this story. And I'm fine with that on the surface because I feel like this this show has a really good grasp on its tone. And it it feels like Favreau knows where he's going with it, with it. So I'm along for the ride for now. But I guess kind of my point of comparison is almost Logan, mm-hmm. where you know it's like ah uh, the the kind of the grizzled veteran and the innocent child, and you know he's protecting the child and learning from the child. But that worked a lot better because you had Logan, and right now I've got a faceless guy who barely talks about anything but his mission. Yeah. Um, I kind of need to know more about him. Like, I'm happy with him being somewhat mysterious, but and I feel like we're getting there. So I'm not worried just yet, but I'm just I need more to know, like, what what does he want? What are the stakes of all this for him? Um, And like you say, I think there's something about his childhood is making him have extra sympathy for the baby Yoda. But um, but but yeah, we'll just have to see where it goes. My guess to be the next episode is going to be a little bit of a a deeper dive into him and possibly Mandalorian culture because, you know, the I kind of feels like a video game to me at this point. Like the first episode, we kind of had like your first mission where you learn how to move and like run around and you kind of get how the world works and you pick up a new quest. And then, you know, as things happen, that quest goes to shit and you kind of now know the scope of the game. And then you need a little bit of time to take a break and fiddle in your inventory and, you know level up and whatever else i I, i'm glad you said that because this felt especially in this in episode two this felt almost worryingly like a video game (laughs) because side quest to a side quest to a side quest action going on (laughs) yes like it's it's you have to you know you um there's a couple boss battles, right? There's the boss battle with like the two when he first gets to the planet, there's the boss battle with the two like, you know, big monsters um, and he loses the boss battle and then he gets rescued. And then you're right. Then there's like a training tutorial s- <laughs> set up and then um, and then there's a big fight which involves you getting on a mounted gun, which happens a lot in video games, right? Yeah. Like you go up against the big you know, Russia bad guys, and then they give you a Gatling gun. And then, um, and then there's, you know, and then you get back in your ship and like, oh crap, like you say, now there's a side quest of you have to go to this thing and, um, you can't get your ship back. You can't unlock fast travel until you go on a fetch quest for some dudes. <laughs> and that fetch quest involves a boss battle in a big arena where you lose all, you, you know, you try all of your different weapons and you're just about to lose. And then you unlock the new power, which is press triangle when the bar gets full and you get to use the force powers. <laughs> And then also there is really what appears to be a thing of like you're going to level up and get new like Beskar steel upgrades to your (laughs) suit. Like it just it feels very much structured like a video game, which is I'm a little bit worried. It's weird, right? Yeah, I kind of like it. I don't know. Like it feels like you said, it feels very like straightforward and watchable. And, you know, I I hope we get more like the state of the galaxy is of large interest to me, especially not having read anything or watched anything about Mm -hmm. post return of the Jedi land, because this was the area that was most interesting to me in the old EU. 
you know, like you've got these like scraps of the empire left and there's, you know, it's the, the galaxy just in chaos and commotion and motion. And I just think it's a really interesting place to be with a character like this. And you can soak up a lot of story on, on the sides as you go. Um, and, and then whoever, whatever, you know, I was reading a little bit of background just, to, you know, like whatever, cause like officially the galactic civil war is over. The battle of Jakku has already happened. So technically the galaxy is at peace. And the Empire is now, I forget what it's called. Like the, in the books, it was in the old books, it was called the Imperial Remnant. It's called something else in here. So they own a section of the galaxy. The New Republic owns most of the galaxy. And then a section of more radical Imperials left to go to the Unknown Regions, which is what becomes the First Order eventually. And, but we don't know who Werner Herzog is sort of representing in this, uh, which is interesting to me. I like, ha- I like stories that have a lot of different players. Yeah. And he looks, he's not dressed like, anyone in particular but he definitely had stormtroopers on his side correct and the guy the the kind of snivelly scientist guy he was with definitely looked like he was wearing an imperial style uniform or something close to it correct but we also know there is those stormtroopers look like they've seen some shit right uh we also know that the guy who played gus in breaking bad i'm forgetting his name uh giancarlo esposito plays a moth of some variety in right. this who has death troopers which we recognize from rogue one and we haven't met him yet we have not met him yet but we know from the previews that's a thing right. um we also know there's a shit ton more characters in this show so i don't know if it's going to be if we're going to get a, a party at some point or they're going to be kind of just come and go um as he goes on different you know quests or whatever i'm not sure the either way i'm okay it, with that makes it seem like he's going to build up a little bit more of a squad yeah, with them, I don't. I forget her name. The female bounty hunter that is in the promos and stuff with the mm-hmm. big Gatling gun, and then I guess another another IG droid. Yeah, who that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I I really I thought um and again like the video game you know like there's a party member that you get and then you know you start out and they they Metroid you a little bit they take some of your powers away um but just the the production design that went into him like. And how he's like a gunfighter, but just like the way his body swings around and stuff is just so well designed. The aesthetics in this show are awesome. Yes. Like the way the production value is great. But beyond that, like just the way that they're and I don't know if it's just really clever camera and lighting work or if it's like using CGI to enhance. But the way his helmet is like always gleaming Mm -hmm. and the way that I know the baby Yoda is like mostly a puppet you know i think there's points where it's cgi but like yeah it's very frequently a puppet but like the way its eyes look and just like the way they soften it up a little bit to make it look i don't know i I mean i know they did this they do this in marvel a lot where they they kind of do like 80 percent physical and then 20 percent cgi yeah and i think that really works and it's working here and just the little details they have like when he's in the canyon which by the way when they're riding across the uh in the first episode on those things when he's hanging out with nick nolte um that looks like the shattered planes from uh wait from uh wave kings Uh, of course you'd say that (laughs) um but like when he's walking through the cavern and you can see the reflection of the guys jumping across the tops of the cavern in Mm -hmm. in the shine of his helmet like "Ah, that's just just cool yeah i really like the and i think that's one of the ways it feels like star wars is that the level of like what still looks like just kind of jakey like costume and set design and like 
the some of it looks cheap in but in the right way that just feels like Star Wars and feels lived in and just has the right like texture and weight of the old Star Wars stuff. Like the old Star Wars stuff, like a lot of the props like look they look kind of flimsy and lightweight. And I like the way that this kind of leans into that because it's like, yeah, like a lot of the stuff in this world is is actually cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of the stuff is actually just junk and garbage that they're using. So, yeah. And it just it I don't know. It 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 has a feeling of reality to it that even I think the Disney movies don't always nail. Yeah. And like just some of the like nonsensical Star Wars stuff where it's like he's got this like cool high tech helmet, but he still uses like a weird looking glass that just looks like absolute shit. But yeah, very reminiscent <laughs> of like, you know, what we see people using throughout the films. And just like, you know, we talked about that in our Star Wars episode way long ago. Of Just like this universe makes no goddamn sense. But right. It's fine. Like, it's completely fine uh, as long as you don't look too hard. And it's but, you know, in this smart way, this sh- this show has not drawn attention to some of the seams in the way that maybe some of the sequel movies have. But I think that some of that stuff, like, I do feel like that that adds some texture to the world in a subtle way in that. In some, like, the bounty pucks have this, like, 3D hologram projection in them, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then he's, like, and then some of his gear is, you know, like, like you said, like this junky, horrible video display in a spyglass. But it's, like, but when you think about the way that this universe actually probably exists, there probably is a lot of um, technological inequality. Yeah. For lack of a better word. You know, like, those bounty pucks, it's probably, like, empire tech. Yeah. And that's the stuff that the rich people are using and and tossing around. And then you've got the Mandalorian who, you know, is, you know, part of this weird, you know, like war cult. And like, yeah, his his stuff's going to be junk. And he even says, I think he says in episode two, something about how the weapons are part of his religion when he's trying to trade with the Jawas. I think he was kidding, but uh, you I mean, you could be right. I, th- I took it as a joke, but I, I, I didn't. I was like, I, I generally I thought he was like, oh, no, that's, you know, like that, that make that, you know, that kind of makes sense a little bit that that's, you know, part of the Mandalorian thing, whatever that thing is. Yeah, I'll um, have to do some research for the next time we talk about this so we can have a little more context. But. You know, and when he's and when he's facing down the, the rhino for what seems like the last time, and he just kind of draws his knife that seemed kind of almost ritualistic, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the Mandalorian, like, you know, kind of this is their death ritual. Yeah, I so um, one other detail I really liked is when both in the fight in the canyon with the uh, Raiders or whatever they were. Mm-hmm. And then when he pulls his knife out, when he's fighting the the rhino boss, um, they've always used the term in Star Wars vibroblades. Hmm. And it's not. It's always been this thing that like, oh, when anyone's you, anyone is using any effectively any knife or (laughs) thing, it's got this like edge that's vibrating really fast and therefore it's really good at cutting just to make it like future tech. So it's like, why is someone using a knife when people have lightsabers? But, you know, it can't be the lightsaber, but it's like it's good at cutting stuff. And it's always just been a part of it, but just never visually identified, at least not in the movies. And to see it visually it, that was a detail that for me, one of the couple other things I'll point out that like shows someone who's making this, whether it's direction from Lucasfilm or Favreau himself or, you know, whoever's on his creative team really cares about Star Wars mm-hmm. and things like when he pulls out the, you know, the Imperial when Carl Weathers pulls out the Imperial credits and you know they have the little debate about that. And then he pulls out the. Um, calamari, I think it's called flan or flan or flam, something like that. And like, they're like 
gelatinous kind of whatever. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense because like Calamari is a water world and that's where Admiral Akbar and the other corn and the corns are from. And like, it would make sense. Their currency is like a weird goopy, whatever. Like it, it just details like that, that make me, this is the kind of stuff that I wanted to see in, in the sequels, to be honest. And that's hmm. why I'm really excited because if they want to double down on this universe and make it feel really full, these are the kind of ways you do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I agree. Uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It just feels like Star Wars. It just, you know, and, and little things like why is his wrist controls able to control the kind of floating baby carriage, you know? Yeah. But it's like, but that's the kind of, that's just the kind of the way things work in Star Wars. Like the technology just kind of interfaces in bleepy bloopy ways and it all works. And I'm like, yeah, that, that seems like some Star Wars stuff right there. Yeah, and like the you know? goofiness, like why is the baby flying after like when he's on the sand crawler trying to get in? Yeah. And it's just like, you're just going to have it like follow you? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I assume there's some like whatever, but it doesn't really, you don't need to like ask too many questions if it doesn't come up in the plot. Um, can I talk about a couple of things I didn't like? Sure. <clears throat> I like the opening uh, sequence, but whatever decision they made to have the guy that he's like capturing, the blue guy. Yeah, he felt so I keep wanting I, I use this word before in this context it doesn't make any sense. But anachronistic, anachronistic is the word I always think of. Mm-hmm. It's just like he doesn't feel like he's in Star Wars. Like yes. the way he talks and the way he acts and the kind of things he says, is just like I just didn't didn't like him. And I um, got they were trying to go for this like smarmy whatever, you know, to make you feel like, well, this guy's OK to get taken in for bounty. But like it just felt like he was in a different movie. Um, yes. Um, and who was, cause that was somebody. Um, was it someone famous? That was, yeah, let me just, I'm it, it's related again. to my other problem is that I've always struggled this with, with this with Star Wars, but like when famous people show up, yeah, it makes me feel weird. It's, it's Horatio Sands was, <laughs> okay. was the blue guy. Gotcha. Um, I, knew, I mean, the makeup I, was I, great. I it was either but... him or Bobby Moynihan. Um, yeah, he there was just something to his performance that did not feel like star wars and i don't know what that is like it was like it was too just kind of naturalistic i'm not sure yeah, like maybe the accent I, I don't know there's like him and then brian posein is the kind of taxi driver yeah that's that that stuck out to me like i mean that's fine because i like him a lot but like but it's also like it, it, there is something about seeing someone you know yeah it, it's very off-putting like carl weathers like i was like all right like this is someone i know but like He's doing a good job. So, OK, so I was taken aback by Carl Weathers because um, I was like, oh, that's Carl fucking Weathers. But also so far, there haven't been a lot of black people in Star Wars. That's true. Um, so far before Carl Weathers, there's been, I believe, two. There was Lando. There was Finn. And now there's Carl Weathers. Oh, and um, uh, Forrest Whitaker's character in Rogue One. But so far, you know, there was. OK, so of four Two of them have mustaches. <laughs> this like, is off-putting. I was like, "Wait, what is that? No, that's not Lando. That can't be what? that." Carl Weathers, um, but he th- he threw me off. Um, Horatio Sands threw me off, but Werner Herzog did not throw me off, and no, I don't I know like, why. Yep. <laughs> I don't really know him from as many things, I guess, in personally. But yeah. I, mean, I know he's a famous actor. But well, no. more fam- more more famous as a director. Yeah, but. It's just, it was weird. Again, this is one of those things, like, there's certain actors who just slot into Star Wars and you're like, yep, that makes sense. And then others where I'm like, no, you're from, you're, you're from a 
different galaxy. This doesn't work, but Werner Herzog does work. Yeah, like, I mean, and uh, Nick Nolte, like, the makeup and effects on that was was great. Was he the voice, though? Because the voice to me just seemed like a standard, like, voice actor. I think he was both. But... Yeah, no, he was he was pretty good. And I liked how they were like, yeah, no, this is just like bad Star Wars makeup. Uh-huh. Dig it. <laughs> and like, yeah, they did a good job with like the size, you know, force perspective or whatever they did to make him look like a little yeah. ugnaught. Um, I will say that the music is really good, mm-hmm. but it's a little too much. Hmm. Like like it's it's trying to elicit emotions that I don't think it's earned yet. That's like fair. it was really like dramatic and bombastic when the Mandalorian was leaving um, Nick Nolte's character and that planet at the end. It was just like swelling. And I'm like, are we supposed to be like, what are we supposed to be feeling here? Like, yeah, I mean, like he beat the side quests. Cool. But like, I don't know. It just felt like a, a little bit too much. And that, that actually like that kind of thing can I'm a big I'm very like musically oriented when it comes to movies like it can basically like make or break a scene or a whole movie for me if they can get me immersed for the music. That's why Chris Nolan works so well on me because I'm just like, yeah, he's playing the sad music. I'm sad. <laughs> like, uh, so I just like a little nervous for that or because like the flash like in the, the DCCW shows can do that sometime where it's just like it's just like too bombastic. And you're like, this isn't like like go easy, guys, like let us make us you know let us earn it first. But. Um, as well as just like, uh, yeah, I just felt like the end of the episode just didn't quite stick for me for some reason, just like the, the leaving. And, um, I also, like I said, want to learn a little more about like the Mandalorian's like code of ethics. Cause like obviously killing people doesn't matter. He disintegrated those Jawas. Like it was no one's business. Yeah. Granted they were stealing his ship, but still he was pretty like ruthless. Yeah. Uh, which is fine, but like he hasn't given off quite as much of a ruthless. I mean, I guess he does like split that guy in half in the first episode but i don't know i'm just like it seems like a little bit i gotta figure out where he's where he lands on the alignment spectrum a little bit on these kind of things for sure Uh, so i mean the jawa stuff was like like funny like when they're um when like they're in the sand crawler like the show's also been legitimately funny which is good because star wars should be funny yes and when they're like they keep saying like suka which is like the, the egg yeah, they want the egg. And when they're sitting in the front of the sand crawler and like he's all like scrunched up because it's for Jawas and like he's just like f- frustrated and being, you know, like grim and annoyed. And the, the Jawa just looks to him and just says like, Suka. And I was like, this is great. Like this is just it felt like a little place like, again, a little more like a video game, but also just a good bit of humor. Um, and once again, like Jawas and their sand crawlers, like we've seen them before. It's cool to actually see one drive around and like go inside one and like fight the Jawas. But like, it didn't feel like pandering. Yes. You just kind of feel like, yeah, he's got to fight some Jawas. Like this is what it probably looks like. Yeah. Uh, so that was, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like you said, it's striking a good balance there that I'm excited to see where it goes as the cast expands. Um, one minor gripe is that I really liked something they did in Rogue One which was they when Star Wars was famous for shots going to planets or leaving planets. Mm -hmm. And I really liked they in a very nice font, they would put like the name of the planet on when they were going to different planets throughout Rogue One. Very important Rogue One because they go to six planets in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But I would like that here, too, just because like, hey, we're building worlds like people are going to think that was Tatooine. We should tell them it wasn't if it wasn't. I don't even know. It could have been like I don't think it was. But, you know, they're going to think that ice world was Hoth because that's the only ice world we know. Like, 
I just yeah. think that it would be helpful, especially if we end up repeating places or he references them. Like, it's just nice to see it written out that like this is a setting. Um, some people might disagree. That's an immersion breaking thing. But for me as a canon critic, that's something I like. So, yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about the elephant in the room. God damn, that baby Yoda is cute, man. Yeah, they 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 know what they're doing with that stupid baby Yoda. It's so fucking cute. It's like it makes me mad and it's painful how cute it is. I don't want to think it's cute, but it's just like, no, it's just like it's mathematically designed to be super fucking cute. <laughs> yep. And it's going to pull a ton of people into the show just because it's cute. And I guarantee you, if you can in- invest in a, a specific, if you, there's a specific stock dedicated to uh, baby Yoda plushies, like. Yeah. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> uh, but what did you think of, of this inclusion? From like a well, story or broader Star Wars perspective. I, I mean, I think the show has to tell us what that means, because I think as a more casual Star Wars fan, I don't really know why a baby Yoda should be special. Um, I, I think it's a smart move because I think that they need to do something to make his quest have some resonance with the larger Star Wars world. Mm hmm. You know, if he's just chasing some, you know, valuable MacGuffin around, that's not as it doesn't feel very Star Warsy. You know, like he needs to be doing something that's kind of big ish and and something that's going to draw the attention of like powerful people. So and I do like the the lone wolf and cub setup, you know, that I think that's a. That's that's a, a perfectly fine trope, you know, I mean, especially as Westerns go, you know, you, True Grit, Logan, um, Road to Perdition, all these things were like, it's a it's a classic setup. So this is this is fine for me. Um, again, I need to see where they go with it because it could end up being just a cheap like fan servicey nod right mm-hmm. like they need to give me a reason why this has to be a baby Yoda and not some other, you know, random child character for him to take under his wing yeah i'm curious because you know i think it i think i agree with you completely what you said about tying it to the larger story and making you feel like there's a little more stakes um as, as well as all the other you know western tropes and all that uh i think that the only thing we know this is i think it's so interesting for both casual and hardcore star wars fans is that yoda and yoda related things has been pretty damn off limits for the course of star wars stuff i mean you know when we see you know one of the big parts of episode two that people love was like when we see yoda like actually use a lightsaber it's like holy shit like yoda can use a lightsaber man and like when he fights the emperor and you know the only things we've gotten about him like he's shot up in books and stuff but he's just doing yoda things but like we have no idea where he came from in a, in a, in a universe that's been explained to death a hundred times every different direction where, yes, you know, the bartender from Moss Eisley has a backstory, right? And Greedo mm-hmm. has a backstory and everyone's got a goddamn backstory. We didn't have one outside of what we see in the movies. And we know yeah. he's, you know, 900 plus years old. We see, we do see another member of his species in episode one on the Jedi Council. Her name is very uh, creative, na- creatively named Yaddle. Um Ugh. Good job, George Lucas, on that one. <laughs> uh, but we don't see her past then. Um, I believe she sacrifices herself at some point. I forget if that's old canon or new canon. But anyway, she's not around. So just like a very mysterious character and mysterious race. And once again, in a place where like every race gets their entry in the source book. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you see them in the video games and the action figures and blah, blah, blah. And just like, so I think to delve more into that, 
is, and obviously like, you know, a very important and mysterious character. Uh, I think it's wise. I mean, I think if they do it right, it could be really powerful, especially, you know, I don't know. I, I could see it going a few ways. Like, obviously this isn't going to tie into, I don't think it's going to tie into episode nine at all. Um, although the, the timing of the release of this and when episode nine comes out, it's a little bit, I just don't think that, I don't think Lucasfilm is running Star Wars well enough to make that happen convincingly <laughs> at this point in the way that I think that Marvel's going to do a good job with that, with the shows and the movies moving forward. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, on one hand, I'm like, from a business perspective, why wouldn't you, you know? Mm-hmm. Because there, there's theoretically business value in all these things really linking together because then people are going to want to watch them all in order to get maximum value from from all the different things. So, But if I'm Disney, I might also say, look, just having enough Star Wars stuff out there in the air is just going to help, you know? Mm-hmm. Just getting people in a Star Wars mood. I don't necessarily need to be doing the Marvel thing of continually dropping the hint for the next episode, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I honestly, I'm I'm more interested in this than I am in Episode Nine right now. I I'll agree with you 100. Um, percent I I think that uh, I'd be curious to see if they go like a really cool route. It'd be kind of silly, but um, I don't know how I feel about it yet. But in so what I mentioned back in our expanded universe canon catch-up there's a series of books called the republic and then imperial commando series which is about um is written by karen travis and it was old canon it was about it started as like a tie-in to the video game republic commando mm-hmm. with a different group of clone commandos eventually the clone commanders from the video game also show up and they make this culture of like the clone commandos are the special group of clones that instead of being raised on well they i guess they were raised on commando, but instead of being like just taught to be grunts in the ground they brought in like Django Fett and the Kaminoans paid Mandalorians to come in and teach these you know clones how to be super awesome right and so you follow uh all the clones and also like their trainers the other Mandalorians and this I mentioned that episode as well that this is the first time that Star Wars really tried to like develop a culture in the way that maybe Klingons were developed for Star Mm -hmm. Trek where there's a language and, you know, it's really full. And one of the things that happens in that, um, you know, because they're obviously interacting with Jedi, is that one of the Jedi effectively defects. And he's like, I don't want to be a Jedi anymore. I want to be a Mandalorian Hmm. for a lot of reasons. And then obviously when Order 66 happens, you know, he he helps like get them out. And, you know, that starts our story. We never really got the full conclusion because a lot of things. But um, it'd be interesting to see how that, perspective like i said that sort of idea of this like nomadic anyone's welcome to come in culture it's just interesting i i think there's like there's there's legs there that could be curious in this setting but yeah i mean i think it's just really really enjoyable to watch it feels like this like like you said it feels like star wars it feels more interesting than what we're getting in the sequels and although i'm curious greg what you know you've always said i don't really care about star wars other stories in the star wars universe are are you are you going back on what you said greg well <laughs> Maybe this could be the one that changes my mind. Um, but I, I, I really need, I really need some more from it. I need to see where it's going and and see if I. Um, I think the question at the end of this for me is going to be, um, obviously, was this thing good, right? This, mm-hmm. this, but also, did this need to be Star Wars? Ah, uh, yeah. 
Um, so to me, that's kind of the test of like, do I care about non Skywalker Star Wars stuff? And if we if we look at this and we zoom out and you say, look, if you had just done this as just a Western, would it still have been as good? Or if you had just set this in some generic sci fi universe, would it have been as good? I mean, I think that's going to be an important question when we kind of ask where it fits in the in the greater Star Wars world because if at the end of the day it's it's just a cool story that they slapped a star wars skin on um then that doesn't speak too well to you know star wars as as a thing that can sustain its own stories yeah i'll be curious i mean i said i want to learn more i need to do some digging and i'll do it before the next episode record about um what the new canon mandalorian situation is i think that the because in the in the old books you know we think of boba fett as being like a Mandalorian, but really he was sort of an outcast and not all of them are not all of them were bounty hunters or whatever. Like this sort of seems to be implying. Um, eventually he does sort of reconcile with his past and become what, and this is something that they have in the new canon. I know for sure is called like the Mandalore, like basically like the king of their culture. Um, or he just dies in the Sarlacc pit. Maybe. I mean, we, there's been no stories about him in the new canon. Um, I'm pretty sure that Disney said like, all that stuff isn't true anymore, but Boba Fett's still alive somewhere. There are some people that said they think they saw him in this episode. I mean, it was just like similar colored armor, so like maybe. But I'm really curious what um, the one thing they mentioned here that I'm still like, oh, what's that? Like they, they put some breadcrumbs out that I'm like when she said, has your sigil been revealed yet? I'm like, I don't know what that is, but that sounds cool. Some like fantasy bullshit. But I, I just I kind of feel like when I'm watching this and I'm watching this Mandalorian, like do Mandalorian stuff, I'm like. Is this thing saying like Boba Fett was just really bad? Like he was just a really <laughs> shitty Mandalorian? Maybe. And this guy's like actually competent? I mean, this guy's gotten his ass kicked by animals pretty frequently. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. He just and seems And the Jawas too. <laughs> he just seems like 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 Boba Fett's a total total shit pile in the in <laughs> in uh in Jedi and Empire. He's nothing. He never does anything. He takes like he shoots his gun like three times and misses every time and then just <laughs> and then a blind Han Solo just accidentally knocks him into the Sarlacc pit. Like he's just terrible. Um so I I, I just I don't know. I kind of feel like this guy makes Boba Fett look bad. Which I'm fine with. <laughs> yeah, it's probably partially the you point. Know that I'm no fan of the Boba Fett. I know you're not. That's okay. Um there you don't have a good reason to be. Uh a lot of people latched onto a really cool character design and extrapolated from there. Yes, they did. Which is which is fine. But okay, um, cool. So real quickly, uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I am probably going to try and play. Speaking more Star Wars stuff, the the Jedi Fallen Order, mm-hmm. the new game from Respawn, uh, which apparently is people are saying it's like Star Wars Dark Souls. I've heard that it does borrow it, it that it what i've read is that it borrows a lot of mechanics from dark souls and also from metroid which on the surface should sounds good but i also hear it's just it feels a little unfinished mm, yeah well that's not uncommon for a triple a game nowadays today yeah, isn't it true. uh greg i wanted to follow up have you uh has has it has it happened yet have you bought death stranding still haven't bought death stranding wow i'm proud of you man that self-control must really be uh really be strong right now well you know a big part of it is that you know we just this past weekend we did um 
Friendsgiving with our friends from New Jersey. So this past week, I've just been, um, you know, I've been cooking and prepping and getting the house ready. And then this weekend, you know, we were entertaining all weekend. So I just over the last week or so, I just haven't had a lot of chances when I could have been playing Death Stranding or moments when I've just been kind of sitting thinking about like, huh, you know, maybe I'll give Death Stranding a try. Like, I just haven't had the time. So, um, you know, this coming weekend, our schedule is clear. So uh, we'll see if I get through that weekend, too. Uh, I wanted to tell you that I had high praise for Death Stranding today from little listener Scott. Uh Uh-huh. He said that it's incredible. He said that it's designed to punish people who love FPSs. Uh, and I asked him what's the closest thing he could describe it to, and he said a combination of QWOP. You know what that is, Quop? Yeah, the walking simulator. Yeah, meets Truck Simulator, meets Blair Witch Project. Yeah, that's, that's about what I've been hearing. <laughs> to those, to him, those are positive things. Um, it sounded like it would be interesting. He said it rewards problem solving and, and like lateral thinking as opposed to just like I'm just going to kill everything which oh yeah sounds no. cool um so when it comes to PC I might you know if if it once the critical consensus is kind of settled <laughs> get some recommendations it might be a game for me as long as it's not too spoopy um I don't think it's going to be too spoopy cuz video games are even worse than movies for me cuz I'm not now <laughs> like I'm so immersed you know it's just like shit's happening and I'm jumping around and I can't focus and then I die and then it's frustrating and yeah I don't like being in a driver's seat when a game is scary. <laughs> Makes me jump too much. Oh, I wish I wish I could have played the uh, PT with you. The what? PT. Um, it was this. Uh, they called it a playable trailer for what was to be the new Silent Hill game, uh, co-produced by Hideo Kojima and um, Guillermo del Toro of all people, and starring Norman Reedus. And it was this incredible phenomenon it was like a demo level almost of this horror game silent hills being a classic horror series that they were reviving but the game got canceled um and then sony basically pulled pt the playable trailer from the store so now it's like impossible to play unless you happen to have it still on your hard drive um but that was scary we had a time frame i think i told this before where we would like get together and, and play scary games together and, like turn off the lights and just be mm-hmm. like you know goofy and we did like amnesia and whatever game where you take like pictures of uh fatal we, frame i'm uh, not that one i don't think it was like in an insane asylum and outlast? it was like i think it was outlast yeah um we didn't really like that one that too much but amnesia we played a lot and we had a blast but um they're like and like we would rotate you know mm-hmm. uh and they'd be like andrew you want to turn nope Good, just watch. I'll help with the puzzles. Um, like it was great though, because we had people playing. You know, people playing the game. Uh, like you could see people's styles come out for those games. Like um, one of my, you know, we we had Roger on the podcast. You know, Dungeons and Dragons expert, mm-hmm. uh, and he's known for being a cautious video game player. Uh-huh. Uh So he literally would just he just crouched and would just creep along the wall with his lantern away the entire game. And then he, he, when he got started going insane enough, he just pulls his lantern out and stare into it <laughs> and then put it away and like walk further. And that's how he would get through the game <laughs> painstaking, but he's not going to die. Meanwhile, another friend, uh, just full on sprint, you know, like running around and just dodging the back. It just, the different styles you could play that game was, was a lot of fun. <laughs> but, um, anyway, I, uh, I might, I might give this, this game a go then. Uh, I will also put out what we're talking about, 
how you pronounce the creator's name? Hideo Kojima. Yeah. Um, our good our good friend, video game donkey, uh, put out an amazing video about the plotline of Metal Gear, the Metal Gear games, and yeah. I watched it and I was just like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> it's pretty good and pretty accurate. <laughs> it's insanity. <laughs> yeah, no, those games make no sense. <laughs> Uh, it's really good. So that's a, that will be five minutes that you will not regret. So check that out. But yeah, the Metal Gear plot line, I mean, is is patently absurd um, because it's the kind of thing that like basically you had all this nonsense written, you know, for like like an NES game and like weird little things in the manual kind of became canon and mistranslations became canon and it just kept getting it just kept building on itself over the course of like 30 years so and like kojima at no point would just kind of like write off elements from like you know like older games and just be like ah nah forget it we just no 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 like it would just like it just he would always just try to like make it out like no it's all true and it's all canon <laughs> we're just gonna make sense of it later <laughs> There's something um, I respect about that. Yeah. And it, it's just like total commitment um, to the fact that like, like the reason Big Boss has an eye patch was because they drew his character portrait just like to look like Sean Connery, but they just put an eye patch on him so that <laughs> like they wouldn't get sued for just drawing <laughs> Sean Connery. Um, so that's why Big Boss has an eye patch and now why every character has an eye patch. And it's just this is. Uh, yeah, it's it's madness, but it's the most beautiful kind of madness. Yeah, it seems that way. Um, I never part- I never partook, but uh, anyway, um, do you want to move on to Watchmen or Let's, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, we should talk about we should talk about Watchmen. All right, um, this is good. This is we're, we're doing what we want to do. We want to like talk about TV shows as they come out and theorize and grapple with them. And uh, we have two now. Yeah, it's weird. I wanted to ask you this on air. No pressure. Okay. Did you have any interest in adding a third? Oh, for Christ's sake. What's the show? Do you, do you have any interest in this His Dark Material show? I am interested, but yeah, I don't know. Just putting it out there. That'd be a possibility, but. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do about that one because I do want to watch it. I am curious about it. It looks interesting and I, I hear good things, but I don't know if I can like like dig into Watchmen, dig into Mandalorian, and dig into his dark materials. We're flexing our muscles, man. Oof. <laughs> Holidays are coming up, man. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh yeah. And then we'll have you know what Witcher. Oh Jimachi. You know. We are just in we're I don't know. I feel like we're we're just pigs in mud right now. Great. <laughs> Monster. All right, let's talk about Watchmen. All right. A Little Fear of Lightning, is that what this one was called? Yes, this is episode five of The Watch Boys. Um, so I I really liked this episode. It was great. Yeah. Um, this basically corrected all the complaints I had with the last episode. That's interesting. Um, because I felt like the last episode four, the problem I was having was like, I just feel like we're just doing all character development and no plot development. And the plot development we're doing is just, eh, just throwing stuff out there to seem interesting, but it's not really going to go anywhere. Um, but this episode, it's like they did what I feel like they should have been doing this whole time, which is 
doing simultaneous character development and plot development and using and, and, you know, using one to do the other. And we are learning about the character as we are developing the plot instead of like, hey, let's just spend a bunch of time introducing this character, put all of the plot on pause introduce the character and then start the plot back up again. Um, this is what the show should be doing. Interesting. I really like this episode. I do agree. We got some work. I feel like while the plot developed, I feel like all it did for me was like muddy the waters. Mm-hmm. I still don't know what we're doing. That's um, a very good point. I you know I, I'm excited for stuff that happened. Like it's interesting. Like I like the direction it's going, but I don't really know what, like what the end point is. And knowing that next episode is probably going to be a majority like trippy dippy Angela's living her memories and her grandfather's memories mixed together, which it seems really cool and looks like the style of it looks really neat. I'm just a little nervous that I mean, we should get some clarity there, but I'm not I'm not convinced it's going to like move the story forward. A, no, a huge exactly. Amount. It's, it's like we're going to at that point, we're going to be on episode six of eight and not really know what the conflict is. No, I think there's nine. But yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right. right. Nine. Yeah, but no, it does. The point stands. It's like I just need to know who's on whose team and what we're what we're fighting for and against. And uh, but yeah, so stick in. So obviously, this episode was focused around um, Looking Glass mm-hmm. um, or you know Mirror Guy TM. Um, that opening sequence was awesome. Yes, like I didn't think we were gonna fucking see the squid man, and we- I kind of didn't want to, but then we did, and I was like, okay, yeah. I was I was happy to see the squid. Um, I was happy that they're still doing the very Dave Gibbons thing of, you know, using weird little visual cues. Like as we pulled away from the um, fair in Hoboken, the Ferris wheel started to resemble more and more Dr. Manhattan's symbol. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that they do little things like that because, yeah, it is a little heavy handed, but it's also that's Watchmen. Yeah. Um, it, it is supposed to be like dripping with omens and symbolism. That's the whole point. Um, yeah, there was it was a really good opener and um, and felt like an origin story for a superhero, you know? Yeah. Like, like the way it was like just like almost overdone with the like he's in a hall of mirrors, guys. Mm-hmm. Get it? Yeah. But you're like, but yeah, but that's the that's. That's Watchmen. You yeah. know, this is his origin story. Of course, it's going to be that that crazy and bizarre and like um, overwrought. But then his current life is just is kind of sad and grounded, you know. Mm-hmm. And like that's the way it all fits together. We're like, you know, he's in this like the hall of mirrors and, you know, he, he's naive. And, and then he has this traumatic experience. And then the fact that the was they call it the, the uh, I forget the made up word that the, his mask is made out of and everything's lined with uh, to protect them from like, like, you know, he sees this like the, the damage of the psychic blast, which yeah. I kind of forgot was like a major component of yep. the attack. And like, you know, just the way it all fits together. It's just like, except it's silly and contrived, but like in the very superhero kind of way. And it was just like, Oh, this all makes sense now. Cool. Uh, it was, it was just great. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, I was already feeling like looking glass was my favorite character on this show. Um, but then I feel like the way that they have now set up that like his quote unquote day job is to sit around being existentially exhausted by having to call bullshit on focus groups all day. Cause that's like 75% of my job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
Oh, they made a man just for me. They made a TV man for me, for for me, Greg Park. And I was like, yes, I've been there. I've been in that room. Uh, That's funny. Um, Maybe we can talk about focus groups some other time. I want to know more about that. Um, In my professional opinion, they hated it. (laughs) You should start saying it just like that when you're at work. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was, I left this episode uh, still a little unclear about something, though. Mm Mm-hmm. When he says he can tell when people are telling the truth or lying, mm-hmm. is that just like a I'm studied at this or is there like is this like post psychic exposure like semi superpower? I think that's supposed to be unclear. OK, because I I mean, I I one of my predictions in the from our last episode was that he's a telepath um, and that the mask is in some way helping him keep you know, like protecting him psychically. And so I was maybe half right there. But um, I I think it is highly possible that he does have some latent telepathic abilities Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, he plays off as just being really, really perceptive of, you know, reading facial expressions and body language. But um, but you could also argue that that because so much of his kind of formative trauma was being misled by that um, punk rocker girl. Yeah. Um, what was the name of that gang? Were they the top knots? I don't know. But all I, I know so. is I love like the callback and like that 1985 felt so much like the 1985 represented in Absolutely. the comic. It was, it was so, so well done. It's just the colors and the imagery and mm-hmm. everything about it just really seemed like, um, like they just brought it to life. It's great. Yeah, that was good. And it's been the way that was not the case in the Zack Snyder movie. Right, right. Um, but yeah, like if, if that was his kind of formative trauma that now he spent his adult life just making sure he never gets tricked again by someone. So he has just developed an uncanny skill for, you know, telling when someone's lying. Um, you could go look at it that way too, which I think is equally interesting. Maybe more so, maybe less so. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, so like, yeah, like a lot happened in this episode, uh, mostly surrounding glass. We also got a little bit of development of the Vite, uh, Osmondeus storyline, um, but it's a big reveal. So we find out that like the seventh cavalry, uh, is pretty sophisticated and they trick looking glass into kind of stumbling on their secret base. Yes. And in the process of that, we find out that Senator Joe Keen Jr. is in charge. Yeah. It's a little unclear if he just kind of took over or if he is. Like he created it. It's unclear, but I don't necessarily know that that's an important factor, but he definitely is in charge and he may or may not just be using them to further his own gains. Yeah, you get the there's something I picked up something in this episode of sort of like a narrative of obviously there's a narrative like of secrecy and conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have this guy. We don't know what the greater context of how it connects to the broader story yet, which is, you know, to our previous complaints. But, you know, you have him, what we can see is me effectively to put it like simply like playing both sides to further his agenda. We don't know what that agenda is. Right. But, and, you know, he mentions that Judd, you know, kind of was also ran seventh cavalry. So like this idea like that, like smarter people or more powerful people or something are manipulating both the arms of the government and arms of uh, resistance or rebellion or revolution or reactionary, whatever you want to call it, like to, you know, 
I don't know, keep people focused. I don't know. Yeah, There's like something the, there that's a little bit unclear, but the vibe I got wasn't that Judd was with the seventh cavalry. It was that Judd and Keen were in charge of these two separate groups and were basically keeping them kind of fighting against each other or just, you know, like they were they were Judd and Keen were kind of serving the same goal by kind of manipulating these two groups, the cops and the seventh cavalry in kind of a cold war to further something. Um, and now the murder of Judd has upset that because now the, you know, he, there, there's no longer an inside guy running the police department. Mm, okay. Um, that's the vibe I got, but that was unclear. And I mean, that, that does link up to, you know, the Ozymandias like kind of overarching conspiracy of I'm inventing enemies and I'm inventing this master narrative in the service of some kind of larger societal goal. Yeah, it's a good um, mirror. Ah, mirror. So I, I don't know where it's headed, though. Mm-hmm. So we get a bunch of other stuff like, you know, we get the reveal, you know, we sort of get the to the character of Glass. We get, you know, he gets the big squid is a lie reveal, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting that that's sort of like something that the upper echelon of society knows. That video, like, oh, fucking Jeremy Irons, man, like. Just, like, the smugness mm-hmm. with which he made, like, the details surrounding the video being made and, like, this whole, like, making on the plan. But just the way he captures, like, Ozymandias, like, righteous smugness is just so good. Oh, oh. yeah. Perfect. Like, just, just, oh, it, it's that, like, he's got, he's got, you hate him, but you also admire him. And you're, like, he's got that perfect blend of, like, you know I'm right. You know, I know that you think I'm an asshole. We're going to move past that. Because I've got important things to talk about. And yes, I am quite pleased with myself because I did a good thing. Like, I did a really cool thing. Yeah, like, you can just, thank me later. Like, he just, he nails it. Um, oh, it's so, he's so good. <laughs> um, we also get that the 7K, they're experimenting with portals. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. And they reference that, like, that's the cover story for why the squid happened. Yes. That, like, someone was fucking with portals and they fucked up too much and it triggered the squid attack or, right. or drew, drew it in or something right, right. that's the said like this is the same model that they were using when the and that's light technology right because you know he was he was the one who reverse engineered dr manhattan's teleportation powers into the portals that he was going to use to make the squid thing happen and also you know provide the cover story for the squid right um yeah i'm it's interesting that, like, I'm still unclear how much of, like, is all of the 7th Cavalry, like, part of a larger conspiracy, or is Keen and certain members of the leadership of 7th Cavalry just kind of manipulating things? Because if Keen is the, like, the, the true leader of the 7th Cavalry, why would they try to blow him up at the funeral? Right. And was the, that all, like... Because that was a real bomb. Right. Yeah. Because you could say, oh, this is all part of the stunt. And we know that, you know, um, like, we, you know, we're the mat, we have the master plan and you're going to show up and you're going to make a scene. And, you know, then um, and then we know that you're going to get shot and you're going to sacrifice yourself for the cause or whatever. Um, But why would you have a real bomb? (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, like you could see that maybe there was. It's a little bit confusing because I, I would almost be like, oh, it's just a conspiracy, right? Like it was a fake. They were going to, you know, take him and then something else was going to happen, whether he's going to 
have some negotiation and get out or who knows what that they're going to take Keenan because they want to say, give us Keenan and we'll leave. And then Angela and Blake, you know, got in the way of that. Right. Uh, so, but it also seemed like the, I mean, you could interpret it different ways, but like, it really seemed like the guy who was doing that was like psyching himself up to like go be a suicide bomber. Yeah. And, and, but again, but if it was all part of the show and, and this was just a way for the cavalry to like make a scene and kidnap the Senator as part of their larger plot, why use a real bomb? Yeah. I mean, it could be, yeah, I agree. The only reason I like what we were just talking about was that like, it gives more motivation for why, uh, Keen wants Angela out of the picture. So, so much. Cause she, you know, I guess, well, I guess it was more Blake that got in the way than Angela did, but I guess either one of them yeah. I guess, could be in that way. But I don't really know. I, I, like I said, this is where it's like, it's interesting, but I feel like I'm not any closer to knowing the conflict or what people want because then like it works. Like they convince glass to basically rat himself, rat Angela out to Blake where Angela gets arrested. But then when, you know, uh, when glass gets home, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but to me, it implied that, like, Glass is dead. Like, they went in and killed him. But I don't know. So, I don't think that they killed him. Um, so, here's here's my reasoning. Um, I mean, one of, one of the reasons is just, like, kind of basic TV stuff of you don't give this guy so much character time and then murder him off screen in the interstitial between two episodes. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, without giving him some kind of actual like conclusion to his character arc or giving him something to do. Um, so I don't think that, so there's that, but also I just, I'm trying to figure out the seventh, seventh cavalry's plan and I don't have it completely sorted out yet, but let's say for example, that they just want to kill him. Um, and, and that the whole reason for bringing, you know, coming up with this whole elaborate plan to bring him into their secret lair and give him all the secrets, all of that was just to persuade him to (coughs) quote unquote, take Angela off the board for a few days. Like that is a very big investment for pretty small payoff when there are presumably other ways of taking her off the board, um, Rather than like, okay, so the first thing we'll do is we'll we'll infiltrate his support group, and then we'll rig up the car. You know, we'll we'll get him super interested in this in this woman, and then we'll rig up the car to drop the lettuce, and we'll bring him in here. We'll put guns in the we'll put a gun in the car, but it's only blanks, and we'll you know all of this, and then we'll give him the big secret, the big world altering secret. Um, hope he doesn't tell anyone, and then we'll tell him to. Get rid of Angela. And then once that's done and we'll have no way of knowing it's done. But once that's done, we'll just murder him. Right. That just seems weird. Um, It's especially when if they if all they really want in this is to take Angela off the board and they're fine with murdering cops. Why not just murder her or. And also, if they have Senator Keene on their side, who is directly connected to Laurie Blake, like and they just need um, Angela quote unquote off the board couldn't they just like plant a lot of like red herrings and wild goose chases for her to go on for a couple of days you know yeah it seems like there would be an easier way to do this like revealing all of this to glass and turning glass you know like um radicalizing him for lack of a better word like it seems like that has to serve another piece of their plan rather than just to get angela off the board and then we're gonna murder him yeah, that's true. And like, like you said, if they would have 
if they wanted to kill him, they probably would have shown the death in the episode because, you know, it's HBO and they want to be uh, exploitive at a certain level. And right. um, I guess the question is, what is the what is the relationship between the Keen slash Seventh Calvary slash Judd like conspiracy? How does that intersect with the will slash true slash that's probably it. Um, if I if I had conspiracy to guess, slash intersection intersecting with whatever's going on with Ozymandias. If I had to guess that the the conflict between the Seventh Cavalry and the cops is an elaborate fiction designed to distract the population of Tulsa from whatever True is doing with her Millennium Clock. Mm-hmm. Um, or to prepare the, you know what I mean? To like psychically prepare the population for whatever they're going to do. If I had to guess, Keen and Judd were both taking orders from True. Mm. That it all comes back to that and, um, the, yeah. That makes sense. Um, you know, once again, to mirror the plot of the first book, you know, the conspiracy is done by the multi-billionaire, in this case, trillionaire, so... That makes sense. And Will um, is in on it because, I mean, the, there's 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 something in this. There's some meta narrative going on about narrative itself. Um, and True is is concerned with it because there is a, there is a scene in, in episode four where she chastises Will for leaving the pills behind and she calls it passive aggressive exposition. <laughs> and it's like exposition that's you know that that's narrative like there there's something about telling a story and true and will are some there is something about a story here and we also we get introduced to will in the first episode he's watching a superhero movie right yeah like that's the very first scene of the entire show so and we keep getting the clips of the american hero hero story and it just it seems like all of this and then the bit about in the in the Seventh Cavalry hideout where the church is just a, a TV set, you know, there's something in here about narrative and somebody is trying to build some kind of meta narrative in society for some reason, um, I think. Hmm. Might be right about that. Uh, now, what do we think about Osmondeus? So we learned that he is on a moon of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you wrote is being monitored by some kind of satellite, which suggests Dr. Manhattan is not behind it. I read that scene differently mm-hmm. uh, because when he gets out, he uses the bodies and writes, save me. And the yes. satellite sees him. So I interpreted it that perhaps Dr. Manhattan could still be involved or behind it. Not necessarily, but that whoever that satellites is, is someone who would not know he was otherwise there. And therefore, otherwise, what's the point? If it's just someone being like, yeah, fuck you, dude. We know you're there. Like, ignore him. Also, was the guy who's like the the warden, mm-hmm. was that the same actor as like the other clones? I don't know. I couldn't I, tell. I thought I don't it was. I think so. But, okay. Um, but that was a cool sequence. Um, but like, I, I wonder, you know, did he know that the satellite would be there at that time? And that's why he went out there. I, I don't know. Like, it, it just seems... A, it seems like the technology behind it is beyond what even someone like maybe True could cook up with. We're not really positive about that yet, but um, I'm not sure why he, if that if that satellite is what's who's monitoring him, I don't know what that would earn him by writing out Save Me with d- dead frozen bodies. Yeah. So I wonder, because you're right, the technology would imply, you know, that to make all this happen, 
would Dr. Manhattan does make more sense. But we know that it was true that built the phone lines to Dr. Manhattan. So could they be in cahoots? Mm. It's possible. So, because because you don't just there's not just gonna be a satellite pointed at a random moon moon of Jupiter, right? Just not only just some random like NASA Explorer satellite just out there, but also that Ozymandias would know that I have to get out there at this exact time so that that random ass satellite will pass by. Right. So I'm wondering if, you know, it's it's essentially Dr. Manhattan made the prison, but, you know, True has satellites up there monitoring it for just this kind of purpose. And he knows that. And, you know, is that's why he sent all those bodies out there so that he could build a message with them once he got outside. That seems, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Seems like part of his plan. Very um, interesting regardless. Yeah, no, I, I, but you called it. He's out in space. Yeah. Well, it was, it was pretty heavily implied by that, yeah, like, yeah. you know, shot and then when we're seeing them being frozen and stuff. But um, what do you think of these uh, nostalgia pills? I don't. This feels a little this feels a little bit like we're stretching um, the bounds of what I thought was technologically possible in this world. Mm. Um, I, I don't I don't love this idea. Um, it feels clunky. It feels like um, because the nostalgia was a perfume in the comics mm-hmm. that Vite made. Um, but now it's a pill that Vite made that has memories inside of it. I just looked at the. Um so I was looking at the PDpedia. Uh-huh. Um, a couple of interesting things. One of the documents was an ad from 2007 for nostalgia. And it was basically billed as like an, an anti-Alzheimer's thing. Like, you know, get your memories back by taking these pills. So you don't, you know, if you have suffered from dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. Um, which is interesting. I, I'm okay with the level of technology because the one thing we've seen is that the area that this world that the world of watching because of Vite's interest and his plan and everything the way it's most advanced is in the genetic area like cloning and genetic alteration and a genetic creation is like that seems to be like where the where the society is furthest there's other areas mm-hmm. that they're far along too like the teleportation and you know these electric cars and whatever else um you know curiously not phones or cell phones or you know the internet or whatever but like yeah so um i'm okay with that since it's kind of related to that in some way uh the other side note interesting pdp thing i was reading was the uh the initial interrogation of uh silk spectre after she, after she was caught did you see that wait sorry this isn't... it was um like when the fbi initially caught her in night owl right uh they and she was operating on the the name the comedian spelled differently yes um, and it's in the context of that her and Night Owl stopped uh, Timothy McVeigh and prevented the Oklahoma City bombing, bombing and killed him. Which, sure. once again, attention to detail, love it. Um, you know, just like changing the world a little bit. Uh, well, anyway. And, and the um, I also like the similar line, um, the Steven Spielberg movie, Pale Horse. Oh, my gosh. So it's, cool. Instead of Schindler's List. Yeah. You know, and the, you know, the the just a little thing about like you know the girl in the red dress instead of mm-hmm. this <laughs> i was like on one hand i'm like i like that i like that little like twist and like oh it's a slightly but but i'm also like wait a minute are we saying that like are we outright saying that um the squid event is the new holocaust because i don't love that <laughs> that's a little icky yeah i didn't view it that way i view it more no. as just like 
in the collective consciousness, like three million people just died. And that's going to sure. inspire an artist right. to focus on that as opposed to something else that, right. you know, is of more importance for sure. But um, in this context, you know, you could see how. Yeah. How and in a very happen. in a very Watchmen way of the, the, the kind of forking of history. But certain right. pop culture things just kind of unfold differently. It, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not really complaining. Yeah. Uh, so, like, where does that all uh, where does that all leave us, Greg? I don't know. I mean, I'm not psyched about potentially having another like filling in the backstory episode next week. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of hoping that we use that time to move the story forward. Um, I've kind of lost interest in Angela's storyline, so I hope that this makes me care again. I was just thinking the same thing. Like they spent so much time with her in those first two episodes and then he's kind of like abandoned her for a while. And I feel like, what does she want again? What does she care? Like, you know, like it's, that's maybe a, a place the show has missed a little bit is not balancing the ensemble cast in the best way, but yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, getting, helping me understand like the relationships between these characters, you know, like what's Angela's and glasses relationship. It's not really clear. Mm hmm. And not in a, not in a, oh, I can't wait to find out kind of way. More just in a, like, a, oh, they didn't bother to tell us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about that. It, it feels like, oh, now we're going to do a stunt episode. Um, but I do, even though this episode was was better executed than the last two, it's still, and you reminded me of this, but, like, it still did a little bit of, like, we're just adding mysteries to the pile. We're not really actually answering any questions from previous episodes, we're just creating a new set that we're probably not going to answer next week either. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I don't know the appropriate analogy, but like, you know, feeling like you're making like an elaborate knot and potentially like with one fell swoop through good writing, you can tighten it up and it makes all you know, it makes all the sense in the world. With one big tug. And that could potentially happen through a bunch of memories from one of the mysterious characters in the show. Or it could just make it even more confusing. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I I think that I don't know. I worry that, again, it's a lot of building and and what this episode got right that I feel like was missing from, you know, that was in the comics, but hasn't been in the show is that like, yeah, you've got this unfolding mystery, but you also have these really compelling human moments that punctuate it that keep you interested because you're you're interested in the characters on a human level as much as you are interested in the world building and the mystery. I feel like this the last couple episodes has done a great job with that part, the human elements. Um but another thing and I, I complained about this last week and it's still true is that the show still has not presented me with a world worth saving. Mm-hmm and one of the things I, w- I was thinking back about the comic and how it did that was you had the stories about the central characters, but there were also all these little side characters that, you know, you felt like you wanted things to be OK for them, even though the heroes were um, doomed and compromised and conflicted. Like you still had, like the little the little side story about like the newspaper vendor and the kid who was reading the Black Freighter. You know, and you had like you learned a little bit about like Rorschach's prison psychologist and like his home life and those sorts of things that so you felt like that 
there were people in the world and there was a world worth saving out there. Um, this show hasn't really given me that yet. Like, I don't care enough about any of these characters that I'm like, oh, I hope he makes it out of this okay. I may be getting there with Glass, but... Um, and I haven't really seen anything of like, well, yeah, these heroes sure are a mess, but boy, the donut shop guy, I really hope he's okay. <laughs> you know, we haven't really got there. Like, the whole world seems just kind of corrupt and slimy right now. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could be, maybe you could make an argument that because of the broad, like I said, and, and the show could do a better job at portraying this. Like when you see perhaps attempts at solutions of problems in our 2019 mm-hmm. or a, a place that the history forked and things are a little bit different or perhaps better, depending on how you view things, uh, you know, things like, you know, the acknowledgement of racial violence and reparations or, you know, the limiting of police, you know, brutality. Mm-hmm. Like you could say that, oh, maybe these are the things that are supposed to be conveying to us, like, you know, like all the cars are electric and the warming's not a thing from the sounds of it. Like, you know, these are things that like, oh, this world is a world we're saving because they've solved all these issues that we haven't been able to solve. I don't know. That's just a thought. Yeah. Or or give me some more people in the world that, you know, really the only people we're meeting outside of our main characters are their immediate families and friends and then a bunch of racists. Yeah, (laughs) so it's just kind of like, all right, well, I don't know if they if the supposed villains succeed with their doomsday plot. I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. Tulsa seems kind of shitty. (laughs) I don't really see. And I I haven't really met anybody in there that I care about. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I I feel like that's missing. We also don't know what the you know, we said last week, there's like there's no ticking clock. Right. It's like we don't know what the doomsday plot is or even if it's bad. Right. Like, yeah, the threat of nuclear annihilation was obviously something that was weighing heavily on people. And, you know, I mean, maybe not quite so much in the 80s, but it was still there. But in the but but the in comics the, in the, also in the comics, like, it was set up that 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 world was on the brink of annihilation. Like it was right. constantly there in the background about like new missile sites being discovered in Russia and talks breaking down. And like it was a thing that was happening in the background. Right. And they mentioned in here, like, you know, this episode in particular, like multiple times, like this was going to happen. Like, right. Which I think is an interesting, there's something interesting there about I'm thinking a lot about these um, alternate histories. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm finding it very interesting. Like, cause as a historian, we talk a lot about like, what ifs aren't a good way to do history. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's something you train, you know, one of the first things you have when you're in an early history class in college, when you're in like the, you know, the major classes, like what ifs are for bar rooms and, you know, talks over beer. It's like, it's not, it's not a scholarly discussion to talk about and it's not helpful. However, <laughs> at the cusp of some arguments, you know, a lot of the, a lot of historical investigation is a sort of tacit implication that like, well, if this didn't happen and that didn't happen, maybe that's, you know, this wouldn't happen over there uh, because people try and attribute, you know, reason, cause, blame, whatever word you want to use to sort of say, you know what, like what caused the Cold War? What caused the Civil War? Like what was, you know, and tacitly you're saying, well, if this is the cause if it wasn't there, then it wouldn't have happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Or wouldn't happen the same way. So there's something really interesting that as a person likes history, like in this show is exploring in, in that. And, you know, part of it's just like the fun little forking history things, like the fact that the Oklahoma homosexuality bombing was still going to happen, but didn't happen. Uh, or first, you know, what the effect of a different event would have on an artist making a, a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also like, what does, you know, if you 
change the dials on what stressors there are in the world. Like what caused, you know, was it the existence of, you know, Dr. Manhattan that caused the world to be so much closer to the brink in 1985 than it was in our 1985? Mm-hmm. Cause there was tensions, but I mean, at that point the cold war was nearly over. And I think that most people were not actively afraid every day of nuclear annihilation. They were maybe say like the mid fifth, mid or late fifties. Right. When it was like, this might happen. <laughs> and I actually went to, I attended, um, uh, a very interesting, um, the Villanova where I work has a center for uh, history and the public interest, uh, you know, donor funded this center to, you know, explore history and talk about it in the, you know, the context of like public uh, discourse and civic discourse. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing a series of events called uh, revisionist history and they're open to the public and it's a lot of old people. They broadcast it on you know C-SPAN or something, but um, like, it's kind of a baiting thing because, you know, old people are like, oh, revisionist history, 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 yeah, facts, or yeah. whatever. But like, anyway, the most recent one was about the Cold War. And one of the guys there was a professor from um, Stevens Institute of Technology. And they don't have a history department, but he's a he's like a nuclear weapon historian, effectively. Huh. And one of the, you know, I didn't get a chance to ask, but one of the questions I wanted to ask, and it's related to like the Watchmen things that's been on my mind, too, is like, at what point did like... We always talk about like there's always situations where like we were on the brink of nuclear war. And like he even said during his presentation, like there were times that we were like pretty damn close about the people. Maybe think about something like the Cuban Missile Crisis. But there's other times that people aren't really aware about it. Like we got pretty damn close. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a pretty famous story about um, a, a, a I think it was a Russian computer error that the guy who was in charge of launching things got the signal by mistake. And he made a decision on his own to not launch. And it was that one guy <laughs> wow. who like and it was it was a glitch. It was, you know, or, or something triggered a sensor that, you know, a bird or something triggered a sensor incorrectly. And he made the call in the moment, um, knowing full well that he could be, you know, um, you know, you know, annihilated for getting it wrong. But um, and he just was like, I don't think this is right. I'm not doing it. Um, but like, yeah, if he'd gone through with the launch, that would have been a launch and we would have retaliated and it would have been the end of the world. And I wanted to ask, at what point did, at what point did effectively that, you know, was, when, when was that removed from the table? Like the realistic use of nuclear weapons as like a policy choice. Mm-hmm. Like when was that actively like, ah, we, I know they like talked about it early in Nam about dropping a bomb on like Hanoi or something and just being like, get out of here. Like, but that was, it seemed like it was pretty easily dismissed. You know, I mean, the Russians only really got the bomb in like, like the late forties. Like, you know, at what point did we, did our armaments get to the level where where scientists kind of realized like, holy shit, if we do this, it's the end of the world as opposed to just massive destruction. Right. And then the reason I bring that up is because I'm curious, like, and I don't even know that Moore and Gibbons could tell you, but like, what was the mindset that like was bringing us so close in this time period? And we had to look at the forks in the history, right? And say like, was it the fact that the Americans just had such an edge with Dr. Manhattan and having won Vietnam that, you know, the Russians felt you know almost nihilistic, like, oh, well, this is our last shot at, I'm just curious. It's just an interesting like perspective. And I'm, I'm not sure that I'm not sure the show is going to say anything more about that, but no, uh, I think it was, digression, I think it was a, but I think the logic in the comics was it was a combination of America winning Vietnam shifted the balance of power. So that so Russia is they feel like their back is up against the wall more. 
Mm -hmm. And with Nixon still being president, Nixon was much less likely to de-escalate than Kennedy. Mm -hmm. So Nixon, just personality-wise, probably kept the temperature high, um, higher than than it would have been if it had been Kennedy. Was it only in the movie or was it in the comics that they show or it's implied that the comedian is the one that murdered Kennedy? Um, I don't think that might have been in the comic apocrypha, but, um, that was a movie invention. It might've been regardless. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fair point. I think that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, uh, one other minor digression about that is that that nuclear, um, history historian of nuclear weapons. Uh, he said that he thinks that it is more likely we will see a detonation of a nuclear device in this time period than it was likely in the Cold War to have one. Um, more so in the, you know, singular, like, rogue sense, not between one of the big powers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, anyway. So you can sleep with that one. Yeah, great. Uh, nice thought. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, okay. Sorry, I was a slight digression there, but it's just, it's all my, it's all in this, like, you know, in the soup of my brain right now, just like, oh, yeah, it's all kind of, it's all interconnected right now for me. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm still in. Like I said this episode was great. I yeah. think that I'm, I mean, every week I look forward to like, what the fuck's going to happen tonight? Like, what are we going to learn? I hope the next episode does a good job of like giving us a little more clarity around the conflict and the stakes. Uh, I don't have my, I have my doubts it's going to happen since it seems like a bottle episode, but it, it, it could happen. That was just what's in the preview and the preview could yeah. be focusing solely on that. But it seems like the show doesn't tend to jump around much. From the perspective yeah. it wants to have, like the first two episodes are very Angela focused. Then we get a Blake focused episode. Then we get, you know, uh, I guess it was another Angela focused episode kind of, but, and then we get this like very glass focused episode. So I don't feel like they were going to get to the point where we're like switching between perspectives as frequently as we might need to be to kind of, you know, move the story along. Right. So, all right. Well, anything else? No, I think we're just going to have to stay tuned for next week. All right. Well. Are they going to take a break for Thanksgiving or are they just pushing ahead? I have no idea. I'll have to check that then. Uh, hopefully not since that's like on a Sunday. Doesn't count. Thanksgiving ends at like, you know, the second the turkey's done on Thursday and then it's Christmas time, right? Um, Have you been in stores? It's been Christmas time since the 30th. I try to avoid stores as much as possible, but yeah. you're right about that. Smart. Uh, yeah. So are you going to be buying um, Charlotte a little... Baby Yoda plushie? Um, <laughs> probably not. We try not to, we try not to like, you know, we, we try not to be those parents who are like, let's give our kid all the things that we like. Um, we, we try to let her just to s- discover the things she likes on her own. And then we'll, you know, um, you know, if she likes Daniel Tiger, then she gets the Daniel Tiger. But, you know, I'm not going to like dress except, up as Wolverine for Halloween. <laughs> except for the Bell Witch albums she listens to in the car. Well, that's because when daddy drives, it's daddy's music. <laughs> uh, you leave the pushing of things to like overbearing friends, like with uh, Cthulhu children's books. Oh, well, and, and there's a stuffed Cthulhu that watches over her while she sleeps. So. <laughs> well, that's good. I was a little worried. No, that's fine. All right. All right, buddy. I'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>